We're going to continue our series that we started last week in the book of Song of Solomon, and we are talking through really a uh, marriage series, a relational series, and I'm glad you came back. I was a little bit nervous after last week, um, if anybody would come back, you know, anybody have a duty call last week? I'm just curious. No? Oh, okay. All right. We'll let that one go. All right. If you weren't here, you get the tape or something. You can listen to it, find out what that is, but we're excited that you are here. We're going to continue, and uh, this morning, we're going to be in chapter number three of the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, we said last week... That all that it takes to fall in love is a pulse. It doesn't take much to fall in love. Falling in love is the easy part. Staying in love is the hard part. And we are through the next several weeks going to focus on not only how do we fall in love, but how do we stay in love with that person, with our spouse. And we said to fall in love, it takes a pulse, but to stay in love, it's going to take a plan. And too often, we said last week that we see a lot of planning go into these weddings. Some of you, you've watched these, uh, they're on TLC or whatnot, and uh, they'll have these huge wedding shows, these elaborate wedding shows, where the bride will have a dress that she takes pictures in, a dress that she walks down the aisle in, and then a dress that she goes to the dinner or whatever afterward thing three different dresses she's got different vehicles and they're so elaborate you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and it just it's almost out of hand and yet you hear in the paper you see on tv that it lasted six months or it lasted a year or four years and they're already separating you say wait a minute all that money all that planning went into what you would look back and say that was such careful execution i mean when they released those pigeons as they flew by right as they said the i do's and then the fireworks went off and then the blue angels flew over it was all just perfect and uh, then the wedding only lasted six months where did they put all the planning into the wedding day and not into the marriage and we're stepping back and we're looking at a passage of scripture that um the writer here, he, he gets explicit and he doesn't pull his punches and he just gets right into what he's talking about. And we're going to dive in this morning because I'm looking forward to this topic because I feel like this one is going to be crucial. Now, last week was great. It seemed like everybody got a lot out of it. This week, you may not be feeling so good about this message. I'm just going to give a little warning up front because the title is simply, What Did You Expect? You're looking at your marriage, and maybe there's some frustration. Maybe there's some difficulties. Maybe there's some times where you're saying, this is not what I expected. And I kind of have to ask you, well, what did you expect? You're two people, two very different people, from two very different backgrounds. You're going to come together, and it's like oil and water. And if you're thinking, well, there's going to be no conflict, well, wait a minute, there, there is going to be some conflict. There's books been written, once entitled uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, just talking about our, our differences. There's another book that says men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. And, uh, you know, they're just kind of all uh, convoluted. It's hard to figure out where one end starts and the other, where men are very compartmentalized. And, and I like the analogy, but then I've met some guys that they're all over the place. So I don't know if that analogy really holds water, but... But it's one of those things where men and women are so different, okay? Um, maybe 
this is how it goes at your home. But at night, just as I'm about to pillow my head, it seems like then my wife kind of needs to do this kind of brain dump everything she processed through the day. And uh, it's just kind of like anything that comes to her mind, she's going to talk about. And we could be talking about, hey, how was your day? And all of a sudden, she'll start talking about, hey, Austin, put toys in the toilet. And then, oh, did you watch this on TV? And I'm like, where, where are we in this conversation? Because it's like spaghetti. It's just kind of all mingled in together. And it's hard to figure out where does one start and where does one end. And we're trying to figure out these people. And so there's this tension. There's this difficulty. And if you're sitting in marriage thinking, yeah, well, how do I sort through this? And how do I navigate this? We're going to see that they're going to deal with some expectations in their relationship. And we're going to kind of go through how do they deal with the expectations this morning. And we're going to jump right into it. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in uh, Song of Solomon chapter 3. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen or it'll be in your worship guide and you could just follow along. I'm going to begin reading verse number 1 of chapter 3, okay? The Bible says, verse number 1, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. And let me just back up just for a second. This is the Shulamite woman and she is thinking about the man that she loves. And she's, the Bible says she's... Um, Thinking about him on, on by night, I sought him on my bed. This is she's having a dream about this guy. She's dreaming about this guy that she loves, and she says, "I sought him whom my soul loveth, but I found him not. I couldn't find him." She's having a nightmare. Okay, uh, husbands, your wife ever woke up and just hit you, and you say, "What was that for?" I had a dream, and you kissed another girl. Well, I didn't really. I was sitting right here. I'm laying right here next to you. Why are you mad? And they just go back to bed mad, and they turn, you know, and they're, they're all upset. She's having a dream. She's having this nightmare where she's looking for this guy, and she's saying, where, where is he? He's supposed to be here. He, he's, not, he's not here. Verse number two, it says, I will rise now. This is all in her dream. I'll rise now and go about the city and the streets. And in Broadways, I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. All of a sudden, you, you men, you know, if we don't answer a text message or a phone call right away or if our wife doesn't know where we're at, she's coming to get us. You know it to be true. She's like, I will hunt you down. I will get SWAT after you. This will not be good. You let me know where you are, okay? So, uh, you know, this is kind of what she's doing. She's saying, I got to find you. But it's all in a dream, okay? And then in this dream, she, the Bible says in verse number three, the watchmen that go about the city found me to whom I said, saw ye him whom my soul loveth. It was about a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her that conceived me. In verse number four, you say, that's strange. Why would she bring her him into her mother's house? Okay, um, it's an Old Testament custom from their time. When Isaac's mother died, um, he married Rebecca, and they went into his mother's tent. It's just kind of a symbolic thing. That's just what they did. And notice what this woman says in verse number five. She says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. Basically what she's saying, she's saying, don't stir love up until it's the right time. And I would say to people that are single right now, and you're thinking, I've got to have somebody. I, I'm desperate to have somebody. There is such a thing as stirring something up before it's time. And that's what kind of you see today on the high school campus, and you'll see these kids, and man, they seem like, well, they're in love. They're just in love. What's happened is there's this stirring things up before it's time. She's 
giving wisdom to people saying, hey, look, don't stir the emotions until it's the right time. Don't get too far until it's the right time. My wife and I, when we, when we started dating, we set some ground rules. You say, why? Because there were some things we said, when we're going to watch a movie together, hey, both our feet are going to stay on the ground. You say, why are our feet going to stay on the ground? Because I discovered something. Women don't have hairy legs, all right? And once you start there, it just kind of keeps on going. If this is your first time, I'm just going to let it out, okay? So if you're just like, uh-oh, it, it's going to come today, okay? Today, I'm just, you know, I'm not holding back, okay? We also made another rule. We're going to keep our clothes on, okay? You, you, you can't get pregnant if your clothes are on. It's something that we notice, all right? So we, clothes stay on, all right? So we, we little rules. You say, this is so practical. I know it's so good. You should write that down, okay? So wise, okay? And uh, if you don't want to have sex, keep the clothes on. Yeah, exactly. So don't stir up this love. We set these ground rules. I'm glad one parent in here thinks this is good for their kids. And uh, they set some ground rules early on for dating because why otherwise you stir up these passions and where do you go with it it's this fire that's raising can i say this sex really is a good thing god created sex to be a good thing Amen. thank you somebody all right now so it is this good thing but here's what we've done in the church specifically we've kind of said to the single people sex is dirty sex is gross sex is bad so save it for your husband you know, and it's just kind of like, wait a minute, why, why, why do I have to do that? Wait a minute. And so what we're doing is we're saying it's a beautiful thing, but at the right time, the right place, the right person. There's some parameters. And we talked about this. And she's giving wisdom to others, okay? Now, verse number six. Here's a great question. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness, the pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powder of the merchants? Behold his bed which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about it and of the valiant of Israel. You say, why is she asking this question, who's coming? Understand, here's what happened. In verse number one, she meets this guy, okay? And she likes his character. And this is a great guy. She really likes him. Verse number two, they start dating. They start courting. In verse number three, they're going to get married. In verse number, in chapter four, they're going to consummate the marriage. You say, so, so why is, it, is she asking who is coming? Because she's dating a guy, and she didn't know he's the king of Israel. She had no clue. So it's her wedding day, and when the wedding procession would come, the groom would come for the bride. It's a perfect picture of Jesus Christ coming back for the church. That one day, Jesus is going to come and take the church up. He's going to come for his bride, the church. That's the picture. And she didn't know who was coming. All of a sudden, here she sees off in the distance this caravan, and she's saying, you could see the smoke from the incense, and she's saying there's 37 of his valiant men, his brave warriors are about his carriage. She's saying, Wow, look who I married, hubba hubba, I scored a big one, this is great. Because a lot of you, you thought you were marrying a prince, and he turned out to be a frog, all right? She married just an average dude, and he turned out to be a prince. I mean, this is every girl's dream. This is just like, yes, I knew, oh man, this is great, all right? You know? And so she has, all of a sudden, she's dreamed about this day. She has great expectations about this day. She's all excited, and it turns out she's marrying Solomon, the king of Israel. And we're going to look at what happens as a relationship and how it continues to develop as we jump into this. Let's ask the Lord's help this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this message. I thank you that we can look at this chapter and I pray that it bring out some truths to help us. And I pray that you would direct my words. I pray that you would help me to be an encouragement to people. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, it's never been easier to fall in love with so many things online dating. Love is just kind of everywhere, and many people, they fall in love, and then they say, well, I fell out of love. And too often we see so many couples that right now they are discouraged, they are disappointed, and they're defeated. Because they'll go by, or the husband or wife, they'll go by their wedding pictures, and they'll look at those pictures, and they'll say, what happened to that happy couple? I mean, look at that couple. They look so happy. They look so perfect. What happened? And then all of a sudden, three or four kids run by, and you're like, that happened. Okay, that's what it was. It's not just that. We're not slamming kids, but it just seems to be that you just look back, and you're thinking, we didn't fight like we fight now. We, don't, we didn't argue then like we're arguing now. We're not we're so distant now, so disconnected. And what really happens is there's so much expectation. And that's what happens from the very get-go. Whenever I do any counseling with any um, couples about to be newlywed, there's always this funny part. My wife and I, we walk out of the meeting, and it's great, you know, it's always neat to talk to them. But I said, they're just like us. And you say, what do you mean? They think their relationship's going to be the exception to the rule. They think they're going to overcome all the struggles, all the difficulties. They think everybody else may have a difficult marriage, but theirs is going to be different somehow. And you can see it in their eyes. They've got the books. They've got the notes. And they're like, we are ready for whatever life can throw at us. And then a year later, they're like, we weren't ready. What happened? You know? And it just seems like, well, what did you expect? What did you expect to happen? Would you write this down? There's expectation and experience. You see... In verse number one, she starts dreaming of what things should be. She starts planning. She starts thinking. And she has this great expectation. But then what happens in our relationship is we have this expectation for that girl or that guy to be our savior. That they're Mr. Right. So, or they're Mrs. Right. And if I marry them, then everything will be right. And then when we find out, wait a minute, no. Life isn't perfect. Life isn't right. I mean, it's good, but what happened? Because you didn't see them as a person. You saw them as a means to an end to fulfill your happiness. You looked at them and say, well, 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 guess what? They love me as much as I love me. So this is going to be great. And that's kind of how we fall in love. We're looking for somebody who loves us as much as we love us. And that's a startling truth to realize that we love ourselves. We really do. We're kind of self-centered in that way. And what happens is you have this expectation that they are just going to meet every need, but then your experience doesn't match your expectation. And then you have that gap in the middle. And that gap is filled with raw emotions. It's filled with frustration. It's filled with fighting. It's just like, wait a minute. You're not living up to my expectation. And here's what happens in many, many couples is the expectation won't match the experience. Your expectation going into this, it's not going to match the experience. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's saying this, it's saying, hey, you hope for something that you think is going to be so good, but what happens is your hope doesn't meet the experience and you're left very, very disappointed. And all of a sudden you're looking back at those wedding photos and you start asking yourself this question, did I marry the wrong one? Am I really supposed to be with this one? Because it wasn't supposed to be like this. 
Because my expectation was up here, that we were never going to have the marriage that my parents had. We were never going to do things like that. We weren't going to grow distant. They weren't going to be more in love with their job than they are with me. And it wasn't going to be one of those things where we just seemed like, man, it's just verbal vomit coming out of one, one another's mouths when we talk to each other. It just seems like some of the meanest things that we can say to each other. Where did this come from? Because this expectation. And really what's happening, let me encourage you, as it seems like I'm discouraging your marriage is not dying when that happens. Your marriage isn't dying. And that's what you're feeling. You're feeling like, we're fighting. This is bad. This is terrible. Do we need counseling? We need help. And you feel like, my marriage is dying. It's falling apart. I don't know how much longer I can keep it together. What's dying is your dream of marriage is dying. What you thought it should be, that's what's dying. The, it's going to be perfect. They're going to serve me, love me, bless me, feed me, take care of me. And I'm going to not have to really work at this thing. Because guess what? In dating, it wasn't that hard. It really wasn't. I mean, we went out to fast food whenever we wanted to eat. Nobody wanted to cook. Just go out fast food. We didn't have any responsibilities. We want to go watch a movie. It's midnight. We'll go watch a midnight show. We were just carefree. And that person was our escape from responsibility. But now that person is our biggest responsibility. And it seems like, wait a minute, you're no longer meeting my expectations. Wait a minute. Can you, can you pick up on that? That's what we do. We just kind of say, wait a minute, you're, meeting, you're missing up my expectations. You're not living up to what I thought. And all of a sudden, what's happening is God is saying, no, no, no. You have to come to a selfless love. A point where, yes, your idea of marriage, yeah, that's gone. That needs to be stripped away. And so if you're in that early stage, or even sometimes couples can prolong that, where they're just like, Why, what is going on? Where is this tension? Where is this frustration? Because you're still in this phase where you have this expectation, and you think the person should do this, this, and this. You know, for a long time, growing up, it was, in our home, it was the husband did the finances. That's the manly thing. The man does the finances. Except we always had horrible problems with finances. Finally, my dad said, hey, to my mom, why don't you do the finances? All of a sudden, our financial situation got so much better. I'm the exact same as my dad. So as soon as we got married, he said, hey, babe, we can go through years and years of financial frustration, or right now, you can take over this thing. And we're going to be good. You just give me my little allowance every week, my $5, you know, and if I'm good, it's $10, you know, and that type of thing. And we're going to be fine. But what happens is when we set this expectation that me, Tarzan, you, Jane, you submit, and you just kind of, hey, that's, you're going you're gonna to run into all these problems and you're going to have this frustration. And it comes because of this is why, because you have literally unreal expectations. You really do have unreal expectations of that person. You say, what do you mean? When a guy gets married, he thinks it's just going to be a sexual orgy whenever he wants. When she gets married to the guy, she's thinking this is going to be like that sleepover with your best friend. We're going to wear long pajamas and big t-shirts. And we're going to watch The Notebook and eat chocolate. And we're going to cuddle. And we might do some little smoochy smoochy. Where he's thinking, I hate flannel. I hate The Notebook. Don't ever wear flannel. Everything looks better in satin. And he's thinking, no, 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 this has got to change. Come on. No, 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 no. Get rid of that. But that's the expectation. They're unreal expectations. It's not reality. But you know what? We've got a world today where if you look at the local grocery store, they'll tell you what they think your expectation should be. Ten ways for them to have the best sex life ever. And you're like, wait a minute, so, so mine's messed up. So I've, got, so I've got problems. Why? Because you have these unreal expectations. And what happens when you have unreal expectations, you have frustration. And maybe that's where some of you are at. You're like, my marriage is just frustrating right now. And the first thing you need to do, and this is the hardest thing, and this is what took me the longest time to figure out. 
oftentimes when I talk to people and I say, tell me about your marriage, what's going on, what's, what's wrong? You know where they start, where the problem is? That person is the problem. We never start with ourselves. Because we don't see ourselves as the problem. We see it's the other person. Well, that other person would just serve me like they're supposed to. Ephesians 5 says, wives to submit to their husbands. Wait a minute, first word. <coughs> to the wives. Paul's writing to the wives, not to the husbands. Excuse me. <coughs> mm. The other week, I was up here singing, and there's this fly buzzing around. And I kept going, trying to blow him away as I'm singing. And I was like, he's going to go in my mouth. I'm hacking, and I don't know what happened. So, But anyway, nothing to do with the marriage. Anything. Good morning. Good to have you. Glad you're at Southridge Baptist Church. What are we talking about? We're talking about here, we have these unrealistic expectations. But we need to come to this point where we're going to stop the frustration if we understand that, wait a minute, I need to change. And God will change my spouse. God will work on them. So we have unreal expectations. Then we have, that leads to unmet expectations. When you raise the bar so high, there's just no way. And then when you have unmet expectations, that leads to confrontation. Now you're saying, hey, you didn't make dinner, and grandma and mom always made dinner, and hey, you're not fixing things, and my dad always fixed things, and I tell my wife, well, if your dad always fixed things, ask him to come over. He can come over and fix stuff any time he wants. I'm not good at fixing things. I'll try, but it usually makes it worse. I have a hammer and this screwdriver. I don't know if it's a Phillips or a flathead, and I'm like, that didn't work. Bang, bang, that didn't work. We're all out of options, okay? I mean, that's the extent of my fixing things, all right? So what happens is we have these unreal expectations, and that leads to unmet expectations. So you went from frustrated to now you got confrontation. And now it's this. As soon as you see that person, and when you stop and you think about it, you're like, wait a minute. We're fighting over the dumbest things. Who are we going to spend Christmas with, your family or mine? Where are we going to go to eat tonight? Should, should we go and do this activity or should we not? We're fighting about things that just don't matter. And what happened because we're frustrated and we don't know how to take out our frustration. And so now we just have this, this feeling of confrontation. And really, can I say this? Expectations that are not expressed should not be expected. And this is a big one. If you didn't write that down, write it down or give me back my pen, all right? Expectations that are not expressed should not be expected. Your spouse cannot read your mind. And you're saying, well, you should just know what I want to eat for dinner. You should just know what kind of mood I'm in. We don't. Don't do that to your spouse. Don't make them have to navigate the minefield of when you get home, what kind of mood are they in? Walking on eggshells till I find out. Not going to say anything, you know, and uh, not going to do anything to mess it up because I don't know what kind of person I'm dealing with here. Are they happy? Are they sad? Am I going to make it worse? Am I going to make it better? What am I going to do? We were talking about in growth groups how certain times we could say something that comes across cute and other times it doesn't sound so cute. You could do the exact same thing and get a different reaction. Why? Because you don't know what type of person is there. And so you're dealing with, hey, I don't know how to navigate with this person. And some of you, you're doing that to your spouse. And you're thinking, well, you should have just known what I wanted to do for our anniversary. Well, did you tell me you wanted to go to a show instead of going bowling? You didn't tell me. And so I just took us bowling, you know, and I didn't know. And it's a simple thing that can blow up into a huge argument because you just didn't express it. And now there's an expectation that you have. And it's almost like you're setting up that person so you feel more justified in your argument. You never remember our anniversary. Well, can you help me out? Can you write it down? You see, sometimes our marriage problems aren't always deeply spiritual. Sometimes they're just, they need to be a little bit practical. 
Some of you, you're saying, man, my sex life is terrible. Did you think about putting it on the calendar? Sunday, fun day. Monday morning madness. Two for Tuesday. Wild Wednesday. I got a bunch of these. Freaky Friday. And then Saturday is a Sabbath. You need to have a day of rest. The body needs to rest. There's only so much the body can take. All right. So understand, I'm just telling you, if you just get super practical, some of your problems, some of you are like, man, my kids, what are you doing? I know. I'm sorry. Uh, I I don't know what to do. Somebody stop me. But um, uh, it's one of those things where if you don't just be simple about these things, here's what can happen. Ultimately, you end up feeling unloved. That's what happens when you have unreal expectations, which leads to unmet expectations. One of you is going to say to the other person, then you don't love me. That's where it gets. And today, that's like, oh, that's the next step. One more step to divorce. You're just right there because you just said you don't love me. And the reality is that's not it. You have these expectations that are way up here that we never discussed. We never talked about. We never said, how are we going to raise our children? And so you got upset that I raised them like my parents who they, they do believe in corporal punishment and you believe in just kind of talking to them and, and, and just sitting in the corner and just saying time out, 30 seconds. And, you know, and your way of punishing them is saying, hey, you know, uh, uh, can we buy you something big and you'll behave? You know, it's kind of more bribery. And so you have these unmet expectations and you're wondering why you're frustrated. So there's expectation spirits. Notice affirmation acceptance. Go to chapter two. You got to see this. So they get married and notice what he does. I told you that he continued to love away his wife's uh, uh, weaknesses, her insecurities. Here's what Solomon the king does. He says, behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. Thy locks, thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are evenly shorn, which came up from the washing. Therefore, everyone bears his twin. He's saying, look at that. Your teeth, you're not missing any. They're all there. I guess that's a rare thing. I mean, yes, that's what he was looking for. He's like, look, you, you have both of them, all of them. This is great. And they're white, okay? And you're going to see that seven times he specifically compliments his wife. And notice where he starts. He started with the eyes. Then he goes to the teeth. And then verse 3, thy lips. He's going down, folks. All right? And then he says, thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon they hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. You say, well, this guy and his pickup lines, those aren't too great, you know. Uh, I thought mine was good. Is your dad a terrorist? Because you'd a bomb. You know, I thought that was good, but apparently not. And so, you know, it, it, his pickup lines are totally different. And understand what he was saying was, hey, most women today, since it's a male-dominant society, most women... They don't have a lot of self-confidence. And he's saying, the way you carry yourself, it's like an ivory tower. You just keep yourself so the way you walk and the way you, you're confident is what he's saying. He's not just saying, hey, babe, you're good looking. Hey, let's uh, you know, get it on. No, he's saying more than that. He's loving away her insecurities. And he's starting with the eyes and he's working his way down. And then verse number five, he says, thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. He's saying, hey, they're like fawns that feed among the lilies, okay? So he specifically compliments this woman. I want you to write this down. Affirmation and acceptance. Affirmation and acceptance. If you are not constantly affirming and accepting your spouse, you're going to have a lot of frustration. 
at every stage, constantly affirming and accepting. All throughout their relationship, Solomon constantly affirms his wife. I'll tell you what, that never grows old, just to constantly affirm, constantly accept, constantly going through these things with them. And he was there just to say, you know what, I'm going to constantly be helping you. Our marriage, marriages live in the middle of a world that does not function as it was supposed to. We live in a broken world. We're broken people. What do you think that's going to do to our marriage? It's going to be a fight to make sure our marriage isn't broken. And you're going to have to work very hard to affirm and accept that person and build that person up. And I love the way he compliments his wife. And another thing, and this reminds us of God's unrelenting graces at work. God is constantly working on us. And if you're saying, you know what, my spouse, they're just not, they're not connecting. They're just not loving me like I want and I think they should. And here's what I want to do. I want you to think in your mind right now of a couple things that you would look for in a best friend. You say, what do you mean? Imagine you're going to take out a Craigslist ad for a best friend on Craigslist. Hopefully you've never had to do that. But if you did, here are some things that maybe you would put on that Craigslist ad. If you were going to take out an ad and you're saying, hey, looking for a best friend, you might put things like, I'm looking for a best friend that gives me the benefit of the doubt. How many of you would agree? You want a best friend that just gives you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that's good. That extends grace to me when I'm grumpy or having a bad day. Yeah, you'd want that. Remembers my birthday, anniversary, and special days. Someone who knows my story but loves me regardless. Someone who spends time with me just because they enjoy my company. Just because. Those are good things for a best friend. Someone who speaks well of me when I'm not present. Someone who will be there for me when I need them most. Speaks truth to me when no one else will. Someone who never shames or diminishes me and makes me feel or makes me feel small. I see that a lot of times. Spouses, we constantly can diminish one another or we'll make fun or we'll shame somebody else when they do something wrong. And then lastly, someone who will get excited about what I get excited about. Pretty good list, huh, for a best friend. And imagine you write that out and you're going to take out a list for a best friend. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you this week to go home and be all that for your spouse. I could close my Bible, we could pray, and be dismissed, and your marriage would be helped if you would do that. It really would. If you would say, what am I looking for? And gentlemen, let me challenge you. Wives, let me challenge you this week. What are you looking for? Because you have this expectation, but it's not expressed. And so your experience isn't matching up, and you're frustrated, and there's confrontation. But now go be that for the other person. Go flip that script around and love them and be there for them. And then let God do his unrelenting work of grace in their heart. Also, our job should be to incarnate God's love in your relationship. To love that person unconditionally. In verse number 7, the Bible says this. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon, Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinar and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Thou hast ravaged my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravaged my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy lock. He's saying, uh, girl, one look, and I'm done. Just one of your looks. Man, I just know that you love me. Will you this week seek to incarnate that love? There was a story about a mother. She was making pancakes for her kids. Did I say this last week? 
Okay, good. All right. She's making pancakes for her kids. I can't remember. And uh, uh, the two children were fighting. Who's going to get the first pancake? And she thought this will be a great teachable moment. So she decided that, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell my children, hey, one of you should be like Jesus. And Jesus would want his brother to have the first pancake. So the older brother piped up and looked at his little brother and said, you be Jesus. I think too often we do that to our spouse. Hey, you be Christian right now so I can be me. So I can just have my time. And when we have a relationship like that, understand there's always going to be that confrontation, that frustration, that friction. It's never going to be what you want. You're always going to look at that wedding picture and be like, what happened? I'm trying to get that back. And you never will. And you'll be disappointed. And you'll be calling, wondering, I need marriage counseling. We need help. Until you get to the point where you understand, I am to be Jesus. And I'm going to relinquish my rights. And I'm going to serve this person because I love Jesus. And I'm going to serve them. Understand, love is an action, not just an attitude. Love is an action. It's something we do. Don't just say you love them, but show them that you love them. And thirdly and finally, creation and celebration. Creation and celebration. Notice this, beginning verse number 12. He says, a garden encloses my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The plants are an orchid of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor with spikenard. Spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, and all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, come thou south wind, blow upon my garden. And remember, the garden is his wife's body, and he says that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Now, I think you get the picture of what's going on here. She is now at the point where she's saying, let's consummate this marriage. Taste the choice fruits. And this is what's happening, okay? They've gotten to a point where now there is creation and then there's a celebration. But I want to back up and interject something. Verse number 12, it says, a garden encloses my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain that's sealed. He's praising her purity. And I know today you may think, well, that's old-fashioned that's old school we don't do that anymore come on you're trying to tell me abstinence before marriage that's impossible and i know as i speak about this for some of you you're going to sense a sense of guilt and shame that's not the point of this it's not to guilt or shame you it's to let you know that purity should still be praised in our society there should be still an encouragement for young people to be pure when they go to the wedding altar and it is going to be the position of this pulpit the position of this church that we believe in abstinence until married and if you think well that's old-fashioned and that's then i'm sorry i'm really just trying to protect you and your children because in the 1950s the average doctor would deal with two stds they only had to know about two the average doctor now has to know about 1100 stds so forgive me if I'm trying to help protect your family, okay? That's the position we're going to take. We're going to say this should be praised. It shouldn't be that your teenager goes to school and they feel like a loser and they feel shamed and they watch a TV show that mocks somebody who says, no, no, I'm saving myself for my wedding night. It's the greatest gift someone can give someone. And if you're feeling shame because maybe you haven't had that position and you never saw it from the Bible, our point is not to shame you. Our point is to say this, today begins the rest of your life. Because maybe you're saying, yeah, me and my girlfriend were like rabbits in spring, all right? And so maybe this is the point where you say, okay, then 
Today starts the rest of my life. I'm going to change. Then if we're not married, then that's not what we're going to do because we believe in purity. And we're going to start over. We're going to do this thing a little bit differently because that's what we want. And here Solomon, he praises this. He puts it in Scripture because he wants people to know this is great. This is awesome. So there's this celebration and then there's this creation. Understand that God created man and women. He created them differently. And what happens is men and women come to a marriage relationship. And I hear it said so many times and I, and I get the meaning of it. And maybe you've heard it too. You'll hear wedding vows. Well, they'll say, you complete me. And it sounds great. And there's cards about it and people talk about it that I'm missing. Guess what? God never created half a person. Matter of fact, the Bible even specifically goes on to talk about in Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 11, that you are complete in Christ, that you're not missing out on anything. So you are this wonderful, awesome, amazing creation who God says, wait a minute, yes, I'm bringing two together to make one, but no, no, you're not a half a person. You're not missing something. God is saying you are complete. You are cherished. You are special. But what happens is we come to this marriage relationship thinking, well, I'm, I'm missing something, and, and they're going to complete me. And then when you find out that the completing process is frustrating, and you're like, wait a minute, this is what I'm missing out on? This is, this is not what I thought it'd be. This is even worse than what I, what I was before. This isn't any better. It's because you're looking to that person to be what only God can be, what only Jesus can be. You're looking to that spouse to meet a need that only God was supposed to meet. And I'll be honest, the most frustrating times in my own personal marriage is when I look to my wife to meet a need that God says, no, that's my job. You go to me for that. You go to me for your identity and your security. You go to me. You receive that from Christ. And when I give it to you, then you can pour out of it and minister from that. But what happens is we don't. So I want you to see that he recognized that this is a wonderful creation, that look what God made. It is awesome. When Adam first saw Eve, he looked at her and he was like, whoa, man. And God was like, is that what you want to call her? And he was like, yeah, woman, she's great. She's beautiful. She's awesome. And he saw her for the first time as a beautiful creation. She God created us, and he didn't create a half person. He created a whole person that he wants to bring two together to make one new person. It speaks to this. You say, I'm a little bit confused. Let me help you. The Bible says that when we're saved, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Not a blending. God didn't say, I take your sin, and I take my righteousness. We just kind of mesh them together. No, it's not what God did. God said, you're completely new. And when you come together with your spouse, God is saying, hey, no, 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 no. It's no longer, we talked about this last week, it's no longer a me and you. It is now a we. And what God has made one, let no one make unone. You can't unone what God has made one. God says, no, no, they're together. I want them to stay together. So here, recognize, but don't rely on. Recognize your spouse's gift, but don't rely on them to meet a need that God says, I want to meet. Because too often we look to our spouse to be our everything. And notice in this passage, he doesn't say like, hey, babe, you complete me. And he doesn't even say, I need you. And oftentimes we say that kind of stuff to our spouse. I need you. You complete me. I'm nothing without you. Wait a minute. What about Christ? Christ said you're so much more. You see, why do you look from, for your comfort from the creation and not the creator? God says that's just a creation. That's something I made. I want you to find your comfort and your source of strength from me. You see, why do you look to your spouse to meet the needs and desires that only God can meet? 
Go to the Lord. And if you're saying, man, I'm struggling with this, God will help you. He will draw you close to this. And then also, also, wait, but don't withhold. Wait, but don't withhold. You say, what do you mean? I'm speaking that purity principle. There's a point where you need to wait, but then once you're married, don't withhold. And so often, we in our relationship, we, we can be angry, we can be upset. And I said this last week, men need the sexual relationships just like the women need the emotional. It's both a viable need, and to deny one another, it's, it's going to cause this friction in the relationship. It's going to cause this tension. You're thinking, why is our marriage not working? There are some simple things that you just say, this is how God wired us. And it's not something where we need to be like, oh, well, that's gross. That shouldn't be. No, no, no. There should be a waiting period for some, but then don't withhold for, from others. And then there's lastly, let me wrap, wrap it up with this. There's the already and the not yet. You say, what do you mean? You and I, we have a lot of frustration in our lives, and it's not because of marriage. It's because of sin. We're in a broken, fallen world, and sin abounds. Sin has broken this world. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't really believe in sin, then this may not make sense to you. It may not. But because of sin, I believe that we are broken. And I believe that sin needs to be taken care of. And one day, sin will be finally eradicated from this world. That's what we believe. And we believe that one day when Christ comes, there'll be no more. And the Bible says there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more uh, crying. There'll be no more brokenness. He's going to fix it. He's going to heal it. But we don't live in that day yet, do we? We don't, it's called the already, but the not yet. You see, Christ has already died for us on the cross. He's shed his blood as payment of sin for us so that we can have a home in heaven. He's made that. That has happened. That's the already, but then the not yet is we don't have our perfect sinless bodies. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to say stupid things. We're still going to do things that we're not proud of. We're still going to think things we wish we never think. We're still going to have those moments where we're thinking, God, I just hate who I am. Understand, that's the tension, but the already and not yet. And there should be moments in your marriage, you're going to think, man, I just want a marriage to be there, and it's not yet, and it's frustrating. It's the tension between the already and the not yet. You live in the middle, and life isn't always easy in the middle. But if you would say, you know what, I'm going to love my spouse, and I'm going to work on our expectations, and I'm going to ask God to help me with this, you can see a beautiful, wonderful marriage. And this is really dovetailing into next week, because next week we're going to work out how do you handle real conflict? Because in chapter number four, um, five, they're going to get into a real argument. They're going to get into a real fight. And we're going to see how do you deal with the conflict? Because there is going to be conflict. If you're thinking, well, I, I want to have a marriage that just, we never fight. We never have conflict. Sorry. That's, that's not going to happen here and now. We live in a broken world. And so we're going to deal with how do we navigate that. But right now, we live between the already and the not yet. But God wants to take our marriage. He wants you to have a marriage that doesn't just, where you didn't just fall in love, but you stay in love. And remember, that's going to take a plan, not just a pulse. So this week, this week, how will you say, God, how are my expectations that I'm placing on my spouse, are they unreasonable? Are they just things that it's really self-motivated more than it's motivated to help my spouse? Is it really just all about me? Or does it have to do with who we are as a couple and strengthening our marriage. Every head bowed and every eye.